I'm curious if anyone out there, if this series maybe has done to you what it's done to me. Let me share what it's done to me. It's made me feel just a little bit paranoid. Let me explain. Maybe you are looking for a greeting card to celebrate a graduate in your life, and you start to notice all these Bible passages, and you go, wait, is that true, or is that twisted? Or maybe you start looking around your home, and you notice all the decorations on the walls, and you see a verse, and you go, huh, I like that verse, but I never thought about it. Is that true, or is that twisted? Or perhaps you've gone to the wall decor aisle at Hobby Lobby, and you just about had a panic attack, because you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's true, and what's twisted. Let me give an example from our house. We have this, uh, this wall hanging. It's in our dining room, and it hangs right above our table. And it's uh, Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. It's nice, right? And sitting there above our, our table, this idea that as we feast together, God is present with us. And I sat there at that table, reading that, not with two or three, but alone with my cereal. And I wondered, where is God? Is he not here? It says where two or three are gathered. So I looked it up. I found the passage. It's actually found in context that it's Jesus is talking about uh, navigating conflict in community. And when we navigate that in a healthy way, as Jesus lays out for us, he will be present in that process. And we also know with our good Reformed theology that, that, well, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, and who sent his Holy Spirit, which dwells with all believers, and God is with us at all times and all places. So I could finish my bowl and cereal without much of an existential crisis when I saw my wall decoration that said, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I still like that decoration. We're not going to take it down because we have a good thorough understanding of what it means now. What else? I'm sitting in my office and I look at my little window ledge and I notice this little cross I have. This is a pretty meaningful cross to me. I got this. Um, my mom and dad gave this to me after I preached my very first sermon. Back here it says, Thanksgiving 2010. It's my first sermon at my home church at Second Reformed Church. Just a young punk, first year of seminary. Who knows what I talked about? Probably a lot of things. <laughs> but I was looking at that. I said, wait, there's a, well, for one cool thing, it says Journey on it. It's a great name for youth ministry idea. But it also has this verse. So I read it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29 11. And I thought, oh no. Surely this one's not twisted. Is it true or is it twisted? Well, I think it's true. But it's also a bit incomplete. And that's what we're going to talk about today is Jeremiah 29, 11 in our series, Twisted Scripture. We're in week three of this series, and you'll see there on the screen where we've been. And now next week, we're talking about this phrase that, that we've somehow twisted into thinking it's a biblical idea, but I can't find it in there. It's this idea that when a door closes, God opens a window. And that doesn't sound like good news if it's below freezing outside. 
So I don't know what to do with that phrase. We're going to figure that out next week. But today's message is called Prospered and Healed? Question mark? As we unpack Jeremiah 29, 11. So we're going to go to that verse again. We're going to unpack the danger, the twist, the lie that is present in it. Then we're going to expand into the context of that passage, find the truth and what it means for us. So here's that verse again on the screen for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So this passage, we've We've seen it a lot. We've heard it a lot. I'm sure that we have received a card with it on it or someone has spoken that encouragement to us. And it's a very well-intentioned encouragement. And it is encouraging when we read that. And I remember my grad party from high school, I think like every other card had that verse on it because it's just a good time. Like, hey, God has a plan for you. That is the intention of that verse being on greeting cards. Or a major accomplishment or a turning point in our lives when we're kind of at an intersection and someone wants to encourage us and say, God's in control. He has a plan for you. And that is true. God does have a plan for us. That's essentially what we'll talk more about next week is God's uh, kind of purpose and meaning and call on our lives and how that goes through different seasons and how that looks. That's what we're talking about next week. And it's also true, this idea that in God we have our hope. We know that, a living, everlasting hope. We also know God will not harm us. He doesn't do harm to us. And he also desires the best for us. We know all that is true. But we're also playing with fire when we just pluck a verse out of the context. And we don't consider the original audience. Sometimes we take these verses uh, and we think it only addresses the me and not the we and also not the intended audience. The grad cards, the crosses, the decor, well-meaning encouragements, and they don't really do damage, but they're still incomplete. So it's helpful to get the full idea. But there is a darker twisting that has happened with this verse. It doesn't usually come through the greeting cards or, or our aunts and uncles who are trying to encourage us. It's but it's very present in our world. And this is that twist. This is that lie. This is the danger that lies behind this verse. And it's this idea that God will prosper us. Let's unpack that. When you hear that word prosper, perhaps your mind goes to this idea of, of, of receiving health and wealth. Oh baby, that sounds good, doesn't it? Health and wealth. And maybe you've heard it before, this idea that, that God will give us everything we need. And not just that, but God will give us everything we want. If our faith is strong enough, he will prosper us. It's this, this idea, this lie that we can achieve wealth and wholeness and health and success in every area of our lives if we just believe. And maybe you're starting to see the tension. You're starting to see the lie that is in there. Because this passage has become a battle cry. It is the banner for those that preach and believe this. And those who preach and believe this idea, is, it tells us that God will give us spiritual provision, 
physical provision and financial provision. It tells us that he wills us to be healthy and wealthy and to keep us from all suffering if only we trust in him. But when you think about that, it also suggests in this lie that if we are suffering, because not one of us has gone through this life without suffering, so if we are suffering, then clearly we're not trusting him enough. Oh, wait, that doesn't sound as good as what we just talked about. Or if you long to be healed, but it hasn't come, then clearly you don't have enough faith. Now, we don't believe that, but that's what this may teach. And if that's the case, then if only you return to a deeper faith, then you will receive all those things again, because that's God's plan for you, to prosper you. And we see the danger when we twist God's word to mean what it doesn't. And we do want to be honest. That first part of this, God giving us prosperity of all kinds, ooh, that's attractive, isn't it? Doesn't that sound good? I mean, don't we want that? We want that. We can admit that. That sounds good. I wish that were the case. Who doesn't want to hear it? Think of it this way, though. If you are really, really sick, say you're in the hospital, you're very sick, you're very ill, and I'm sitting there with you, and you ask me to tell you that you're, hey, tell me I'm all better. Just tell me it. Just, just tell me you're all better. Even if there's no signs of you being all better, you're clearly sick. And so I say it. I say to you, you're all better. It doesn't make it true. And since it's not true, it's not good news. It's just a lie. And this preaching about God giving us prosperity, if only we believe, that also is not good news. Because it's not grounded in his truth. It's not what his true word says. That belief is false teaching built on false hope, which comes from a twisted understanding of God's good and true word. And here's the scary thing. This message of health and wealth, prosperity, it's kind of snuck into mainstream Christianity, if you want to call that. And it is present in many of the fastest growing so-called Christian churches, which should be deeply alarming for us because it's not true. It sounds good. It's not true. And yet you're probably wondering, like, my goodness, then what is true, Kevin? I'm confused here. Well, that's why we're here. <laughs> what is this passage excuse me, passage, actually saying, and what is the good news that is present and is also true in this verse today? Let's unpack it. First, we're again going to consider the context. Jeremiah was a prophet sent by God with a message for God's people in Jerusalem. His message was this, if they didn't turn from their evil ways— God would allow Jerusalem to be conquered by the Babylonians as punishment for their ongoing and unrepentant sin, and God's people would be forced into exile. That's a summary of Jeremiah's 40 years of delivering messages. 40 years he gave to God's people, and they rebuked him. His friends, his family, the priests, the people, they 
all turned their back on him. Throughout the course of his 40-year ministry, he was thrown in prison. He was thrown into a cistern at one point in time, ridiculed, mocked. No one believed him. My goodness, I can't imagine preaching like four times in a row and no one receiving what you have to say, let alone 40 years. But Jeremiah was faithful to what God called him to do as a prophet of the Lord. And he kept on faithfully sharing his message, suffering the entire time. And God's people didn't listen. They kept on sinning and worshiping idols and not turning back to God. So God did exactly what he warned them and what he said he would do. And his people were exiled to Babylon. And Jeremiah sends a letter to those in exile shortly after they're in Babylon. And he instructs them of the truth that they will remain there for 70 years. For many of them, most of them, almost all of them, they would die there. And in the midst of sharing that tragic news, we find today's passage in full context. So let's go there now, starting in verse 10 of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Thank God for the reading of his word. So what is this verse actually saying? It's not as exciting as we first thought, right? Because it starts with this very somber and heart-wrenching news for God's people. There is no quick rescue coming their way. 70 years of struggle and trial and suffering and displacement are ahead of them. We can quickly see this passage is not about God giving us prosperity and blessing us simply because we follow him. And the more we follow him, the more he'll bless us with wealth and health and all of that. We don't see that here. That's a false hope. But it's not without hope. The true hope of Jeremiah, is that it's not that God wills to keep you from all suffering, but that he wills to bring you through all suffering. The truth is, suffering and struggle is a reality of God's people in this world. We will not and cannot escape it. But God does promise that he will be with us and enable us to endure through it. 
We've been talking about this this whole series that we will have absolutely more than we can handle and that we cannot do all things on our own power. So this idea, this concept that if we just believe, if we just have faith, you'll be healed, you'll have wealth, your marriage will be fixed, your finances will fall into place, you'll land that dream job. It's not true. God doesn't promise that. And frankly, it harms us and others when we think that way. Similarly, there's this verse in James that is similar to this, that has been twisted, this idea that the prayers, if you are sick and need healing, simply pray if you are faithful and you'll be healed. The twist is, well, if you're not healed, clearly you're not faithful enough. That's not what that passage is saying. We know sometimes we pray for healing and it doesn't come. It isn't a sign of faith, though it is always right to go to God with that. And I've heard horror stories of people in God's church being told, you're still sick? Clearly you don't have enough faith. Does that sound like the God we know? No. No, that is dangerous if we twist God's word in that way. So what is our true hope? It's that our suffering, eventually it will end in the long term. Exile will not be the end for you. Suffering will not have the last word. God is saying that I have good plans for you. My good plans are guaranteed to prevail in the end. And because of God, our suffering is never meaningless. He, God, will use it for a purpose. For the exiles, it brought them back to God, brought them back to the things that mattered. For others, our story of struggle, it becomes our testimony. And God will use that to draw us and others closer to God. He is telling us he has good plans for us, and his good plans are guaranteed to prevail in the end. And through it all, God will make his peace available to you. This prosperity movement has flown out of the idea of this verse and others like it. And yet, when you look at the word that is translated into English as prosper, you find that's a terrible translation. The Hebrew word, it's actually one of the Hebrew words I'm certain you all know. It's the word shalom. For God to bring peace. His everlasting, overwhelming, transcendent peace that is whole and, and, and complete of his loving mercy and all of that. God has plans to give God's people his enduring peace. That's a lot different than prosperity. You can have peace whether, whether you're rich or you're poor. You can have peace whether you're sick or healthy. Prosperity assumes that achievement of wealth and fortune and status, but peace surpasses all of that. It can be found in even the hardest of times. And it doesn't make sense, but frankly, it doesn't have to make sense. We see in Philippians 4 what Paul writes, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, we can't grasp it, we can't understand it, it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
it's that surreal peace that, that, that you may feel if you have faith in God and you have a major surgery coming up and you know what could happen in that outcome. And yet, still for some reason, you feel a peace. It's that same peace that you may have that as you sit with a loved one who is close to the end of their time here on this earth, and yet you know that they love Jesus, everything they have, and you sit there holding their hand, and yes, you feel the sorrow of soon to miss them. Yes, you are grieving their earthly loss, and yet you have a peace because you know where they're going to be with Savior, their Savior forever. It's that surreal peace that surpasses understanding. It's the peace that's available through death and sickness and martyrdom and bankruptcy and any other struggle you can ever fathom. God's people go through the unimaginable every single day, and yet through it all, his peace may still be found. Suffering will come our way but it does not have the final say. So what does that mean for the exiles then and for us now? It reminds us that God's plan, how he works, it calls for a patient trust in him. Seventy years is a very long time to wait. Think about it. Most of us want our problems fixed by the end of the day, not the end of the century, right? I'll get back to you on that. Seventy years later, okay, yeah, your car's fixed. What? No. What is true? What is true in this? That God is calling his people through this world and all it brings to you a patient trust. And what we find as we patiently wait on him and trust in him, is that God does indeed have a plan for you. So I want you to consider right now, where in your life are you being called to a place to practice that patient trust in God? I trust for each of us, there's something in our life right now that we're wondering, if only God if only you did this, God, or if this wasn't happening to me right now, God, or I don't quite understand this, God, or this is hurting me, and, and this is a struggle for me right now, God. What is that place? Where do you need to be reminded again of a practice of patient trust in your life? Now, let's acknowledge that it is indeed possible for suffering, for healing, for, for reconciliation, for freedom from our struggle— that may come quick. By the very power and grace of God, it absolutely can. Our suffering can end quickly. Our healing can come quickly. Reconciliation and freedom, all of that can come quickly by the grace and power of God. We can and we should pray for that. But is it guaranteed? Absolutely not. You can't bank on that. That's not what God says or promises. Because we know that sometimes when suffering comes— Suffering stays. But because of God, his promises, and Christ's work on the cross, our suffering will come to an end. Maybe in this life, or maybe it dies with us. 
but then we will rise again in wholeness and fullness and glory, and our suffering will end. And we will prosper in every way for the blessing of eternity with our Savior awaits. And even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our suffering, we can still experience the all-surpassing, all-encompassing, the overwhelming peace, shalom of God. That is the good news of this passage. Not that God will prevent bad things from happening, if only we believe, but that if that he gives us reason to believe by giving us his peace and presence throughout all of life's struggles. And so that brings us to this week's challenge. We all have some place we need to work on patient trust. So my encouragement for all of us is to start and end each day seeking the shalom of God by asking him for your patience and declaring your faith and trust in him over that current situation in your life. To each day offer it to God and say, God, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know why this is going on. But again, I trust you and I will follow you, and I will wait patiently on you. Lord, I don't feel patient right now, so I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you do a work in me to rest in your presence and trust in you again. Beginning of the day, and a lot happens in a day, so it's good to return again at the end of the day. That's our challenge. That's my encouragement for you to live into and press in this week. Our faith may not buy us everlasting health and wealth and happiness on this side of eternity, but our faith will point us to a peace that surpasses all understanding. Our faith will point our eyes to see our God at work as he has throughout all the ages drawn people back toward him. Just like he did with the exiles, by bringing them through their 70 years of waiting, he will bring you through whatever you are navigating. God has not forgotten his people. God has not forgotten you. And God never will. And in that promise, we do have hope. We do have peace because our God does actually have a plan for you. So may you feel his peace today and all days. To God be the glory, always and forever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so deeply grateful that we do have a peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord. And we say that acknowledging that we don't always feel that peace. We often will stand in the way of experiencing that peace. And so, God, we again just come before you giving you thanks for all you have done in our lives and throughout the ages. And we give you thanks that you have made a way through our suffering, God. That it won't have the final say. That because of you, we always have hope. And we can always find peace. For all of us here today, Lord, I just, I just pray that we feel an extra dose of your grace and your mercy and your kindness. 
for those struggles we're going through and those who are suffering in our community right now. We just, we offer them up to you, asking that they might feel your loving presence this day. In our longing, in our waiting, we find ourselves in the shoes of the exiles, Lord. But just like the exiles, we hang our hope on the good promises that you give us. Help us patiently trust in you, Lord. You are so faithful. In fact, you've never been anything but. And so we give you thanks this day. We pray that our faith may mirror the faith of you. We proclaim your goodness today. We proclaim your lordship over our lives and ask us from Sunday to Sunday that we may live in response to your word, seeking to live more fully into the image you have created us to be. May people see Jesus Christ in us as we go to be the hands and feet of you this week. We love you, God. We pray this all in the power and authority of Jesus' name. Amen.